The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Good morning, everybody. My name is John Addis. I'm the founder and editor of The Intelligent Investor, and I have with me here this morning James Carlyle to talk about three of the top 10 stock growth stocks we have uh, before us today. Welcome, James. Hello. So I think we're going to kick off today, James, with uh, a company that's very familiar to you. I think the first time you started looking at this company was in about 2014. Is that right, Altium? Yeah, that is right, actually. I looked at it in 2014, and it was just going through a major sort of restructuring with um, the current chief executive, Aaron Murkazimi, in charge, and really setting out on its growth path. Um, and the market was sort of aware of this, had it on a huge PE, I don't know, probably 30 or 40 at that time. Yeah, it's seemed, huge seemed, at the time, not, not so well, much that's now. Right. That's right. And, um, I mean, that's about what it's on now, right? So, um, yeah. uh, and, you know, I, I thought, look, this looks like a fab- fabulous company. But, it, you know, there was also in the back of my mind that little sort of Aussie company trying to conquer the world and they had a bad track record at that at the time. There's been a few that have managed it since. Yeah. Um, so... so- it looked too expensive at the time, yeah. So it's it's back on the buy list now. Let's let's kick things off by talking about what Altium does um, because it's quite an ambitious and unusual business in terms of what it's integrating. So do you want to explain what the company does and how that relates to printed circuit boards, which is the area in which it functions? Yeah, so it basically makes the software that people use designers uh, use to um, design printed circuit boards. So the printed circuit boards are the sort of uh, green or sometimes brown, um, sometimes red uh, plastic boards you see in pretty much all electronic equipment um, onto which get placed the resistors, um, the capacitors, the silicon chips. Um, Various of them actually get built into the board uh, somehow, I'm afraid that the, te- <laughs> the technicalities escape me, but um, are beyond me, I should say. Um, and so, you know, they can be on, on in sort of 2D or 3D. You can have layered boards. You have so a combination of boards go into electronic products. Um, right. So, so it sounds as though this is a long way from the old days in the 80s and 90s when you could take the back off a computer and pull a PC board out and put a new one in. It's it's a very different thing now. Those well, those are. I mean, yeah. I mean, PCBs are getting more sophisticated all the time. Um, manufacturing technologies enabling you know better boards and um, and you, you're getting bigger chips to go into them and all that. But the principle is essentially the same. You know, you've got a yeah. bunch of components which you're connecting together, um, and you need you know some sort of software to to help you design that board so you can you know, um, figure, figure out how everything fits together, essentially. And I suppose that miniaturization is a, something that's driving this. So if you think you and I both have Apple Watches, there's presumably a PCB inside the watch and the, the, the size constraints are just in, in, almost impossible to work with. So because a lot of the de- devices these days are becoming smaller and smaller, and I suppose there's an efficiency element to this as well, if you make them smaller, then becomes kind of more efficient that the design itself is a really a high-tech thing in itself it's a very skilled part of the engineering process well the design there's a there's a couple of elements in that um the design gets more and more sophisticated that's right but but also in terms of the components you can use as you get smaller um you've got to be more careful about um heat dissipation um, you've got a, a certain certain components will or won't work very well together, um, and, and actually the physical size of the thing, the physical shape um, of the thing matters as well. So, I mean, an example they often throw out is the um, the Fitbit. In fact, not so much the Apple Watch, although I'm sure the principles are the same, because mm. it's curved around your wrist. And so the point about that is that the PCB designers have to work with the product designers. 
um, in order to get the thing in the right shape to fit in. I mean, as you say, you know, back in the 80s when you had a computer, you just made your board and the box was always big enough to throw the board into it. Um, But now things, uh, you know, the the mechanical form of things uh, is much more important. Um, and so the, the software, so the, sorry, the PCB designers have to work much more closely with the product designers and with the suppliers, um, of the components. So when you're designing the board, um, and I mean, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves now, but, but, but one of the benefits of Altium software, their new Altium 365 cloud software is that you can see in real time the availability of different components. So when you're designing a board, you can see, oh, well, I can use one of those in there. Um, And then you see that it's not available at the moment. It's going to be six months. And that's a particular problem at the moment, of course. Um, And so you say, well, I can make it with two of those instead or or, or however it is, one of those. from a different. So this is is an important thing to understand about this business by the looks of it is that it brings three – three kind of elements together which is the design of the board the procurement of the parts so there's all sorts of parts manufacturers and altium has a, a database effectively of different parts manufacturers yeah it owns and a then there's the, company, yeah, yeah. and then there's the final manufacturing and integration of the pcb itself so there's three That's parts right. to this and altium 365 brings all of those together so it's, it, it sounds as though it's, kind, it's trying to be a platform business. Is, is that right? Absolutely right. Um, it's it's uh, The future it sees is, I mean, it's careful about how it describes this. Oh, sometimes it's careful, sometimes it's not. It's called, it's, uh, it's, it says it has aspirations of becoming like the Adobe Acrobat for, you know, as that is for PDFs, you know, yeah. so that everybody uses it. Everyone knows how to use it. It's the industry standard. Um, and, and the way of getting to that point is becoming, uh, I mean, it, it, it aims to be so useful to people, um, you know, through the, through bringing everyone together, it, it, it's competitors can't bring everyone together in quite the same way. Um, you know, the product designers, the, the part suppliers and all that, it doesn't have that. They don't have that cloud, uh, functionality at the moment, um, Meg Zimi said that he thinks they're three years ahead of the competition in terms of that. And three right. years in, in this uh, business is, is light years. You know, you may, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, so it's performing very well. And especially at the moment, uh, gaining subscribers. Um, it went through a slightly difficult time during the pandemic, but um, it's, it's seems to be firing on all cylinders now. And uh, the idea is, as you say, that eventually it gets into that platform position where, you know, if you want your product designers um, to be able to, you know, mechanical designers to be able to, to sort of work with the, the PCB designers, then you really need to have the product um, hosted in Altium 365. Yeah. Um, and that'll make it easier to sell. At the moment, you see, it's not necessarily charging for, it's not charging for Altium 365, but it's, you know, just that... Um, uh, extra uh, usability is is you know driving sales of the core software product, but in time it'll it'll I think directly monetize um, the whole package. It sounds we we have uh, we had a, a bit of history with a company called Infomedia, which was essentially a car parts database, and it seems as though there's there's a kind of parallel here. So you have previous to a previous to Altium, there was presumably individual businesses would have their own PCB engineers and then they would have their own database of parts, which probably wasn't comprehensive. And you had to make all these calls to find out whether they're available and whether they'd fit. And it would be a big hassle. What Altium does is bring those two things together in one piece of software. That's, and that's Altium 365. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So you could have, um, there, there, are, there are other electronic um, component catalogs but the one that Altium uh, owns, it bought a few years ago, Octopart, it, it actually integrates into its software. So you can see in real time. And that's the, that's the huge advantage without having to go to a sort of separate product and see is that available. Um, 
you know, it, it, what what happens is is uh, I believe as I'm, I'm you know I don't pay the seven grand or whatever a year to use this thing, but but the you know what happens if you try and put a component into your PCB that that isn't available, you get a sort of red flag. It'll it'll you know it'll show it's unavailable, and um, or you can check it's available. You can check for alternatives, and so it's it's nicely sort of built into that um, to to the core software. Okay, so when when you first looked at this business, it had a market share of about fifteen percent. Um, what what do you estimate it is now? Because it's certainly a lot bigger. Earnings have risen six ta- six times. I think share price is probably up tenfold. Um, that must be a they much they must have a much bigger market share nowadays. Yeah, so the roots of the company are in the sort of smaller user. Um, so they've always had a lot of users, but less, um, you know, the sort of students, student engineers and that sort of thing. Those are going way back. So they've always yeah. had a lot of users, but not necessarily priced as high as some of the competition. So the competition um, has, uh, you know, higher ARPU, uh, you know, revenues per user and all that. And, and in the past have had a more sophisticated product. Um, but Altium's really caught them up with that. So now you've got this thing. And, and the advantage in that is that a lot of PCB designers, you know, far more PCB designers will be familiar with um, the Altium sort of software and how to use it and, and how it looks and all that than will be familiar with some of the um, the big competitors like um, Cadence and Mentor, the two the two big competitors. So, um, so having said all that, what it, it actually it became the market leader a few years ago, two or three years ago, I think, in terms of subscriber numbers. Um, uh, it's still a little bit short um, at around twenty five percent in terms of revenue um, of the market market mm-hmm. share, revenue market share, uh, but it. it Unlike the others, it's really on an upward trajectory. The others are sort of flattening off, um, and its market share is growing, um, yeah. and you know, on a trajectory really to pass Mentor, which is the leader. Um, yeah. You know, it's a couple of percent short at the moment, but I think it's it's certainly expected to get there in the next couple of years. Um, okay, um, so it's it's proving itself. You have, you did. I do remember some reviews that you've written on this business where you had some reservations about the management. Um, you want to just address those? Well, very salesy <laughs> orientation. <laughs> yeah, they're very, they're very effusive, shall we say? Um, right. You know, they. Uh, you know, an unfair way to put it would be to say they gild the lily. I mean, they, they, you know, but they, they. Um, they're very enthusiastic. They um, they love their company. They love what they're doing. They have uh, big big ambitions, um, and that comes through sometimes in some of the language they use. Some of their updates, um, uh, you know, they, they, you could you'd be forgiven for um, feeling there was a bit of hubris in in there. Um, but you know, this is you know, I, I, I sometimes feel that's what you need to you know um, these sort of Magazine is not the founder, but he's the founder of a company they bought, which is how he came into the company. Yeah, um, and you know he he has that sort of mindset, and he's he's very energetic, and he's driving this huge uh, change in the company and in the industry. And I think sometimes you need that enthusiasm, and a byproduct of that is uh, is perhaps the way um, they talk to the market. I mean, they prefer talking to. Um, their customers and 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 the industry, and so that requires a certain type of language. And you know, some companies use a different type of language when they talk to the market um, and uh, the share market. That is, um, Altium, perhaps not so much. And look, I I don't mind that. I, I suppose it's it, it's a little bit unsettling at times, but. Um, you know, uh, I it's think a fine line, though, where isn't it? it comes from. Yeah. yeah, it's a fine line. I mean, uh, this is a guy who turned up in Australia from Iran in the, the 80s, I think you said. Yeah, and, something um, like that, yeah. Couldn't speak a word of English and enrolled in a University of Tasmania engineering degree six weeks after arrival. And uh, I think you said, <laughs> said in one of your original reviews, you know, he didn't understand a word that the lecturer was saying, but just tried to work out what was being designed 
just by what well, I think that's screen. One, I think that's one of the reasons he chose, um, you know, engineering as is <laughs> because uh, the, the language is, was yeah, it's more visual, more conceptual. Um, and so, uh, you know, he might have done other things, but he got into that and, um, uh, yeah, clearly did very well. He's a smart guy. And he, there, there is some, um, we look for, for founders or, or owners with uh, a decent sized interest in the business. I think the difference between now and when you first wrote the company up, um, when you first looked at it in 2014, is that there's some proof there, that ambition and that kind of, aggression that you saw in his commentary has been matched by a massive increase in the, the value of the business and um, the size of the business. So the aim, I think, is to, to double subscription numbers to uh, about over 100,000 by 2025 yeah. and get revenue. 2026 up, now, uh, I think they've sort of they've let us, okay. yeah, they've sort of let us over yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and revenue, sorry, you were going to say up to 500 million, yeah. Yeah. Um, which uh, which are, they're, they're big targets, and not many companies have the courage to sort of put those sort of targets out there. Yeah, um, yeah. And the problem is that, that, that then the market holds them to it, and the moment it looks like they might sort of defer that target, everyone gets upset with them. Um, but these are targets. They're not guidance. They're not forecasts. You know, they're just sort of saying where they aim to be. They want to be at those numbers um, in order to drive through the change that they that they want to that they want to produce in in the industry, you know, in terms of bringing everyone together and you know making making the whole industry more efficient. And and this isn't necessarily about the revenue or the, the EBIT that they're delivering. If you could see them expanding to four hundred and fifty million and getting ninety thousand subscribers by twenty twenty six. Yeah, that would be, be quite good, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be fine. If, and and I mean so long as the um you know their their overall plan. I mean the reason we love like the stock is because uh you know we see uh PCBs electronics as being a long term growth market. We think that that you know our mm. lives are gonna be um you know, filled with more and more electronic products as time goes on. And we think that they've got a very good shot at getting, you know, getting themselves into a position where everyone's using, pretty much everyone's using them to design the electronic guts of these products. Um, Now that's a huge opportunity. So what matters is that they're on track to deliver on that opportunity um, far more than uh, any particular revenue or, or subscriber numbers. That's right. This is this is about. Can you see the platform becoming a platform? Can you see this emerging into a monopoly position where yeah. almost everybody in the industry is using it? And whether that takes five years or ten years, I mean, it matters to the valuation. But but uh, it's it's if they can stretch ahead of the competition and get to a point where they are the monopoly supplier to this industry this would be an exceptional business with global yeah i mean that's not going to happen in five years the five years the five-year targets are really what they're saying is for them to be on track to be achieving this you know really the sort of full platform position you know mm. probably won't be seen for 10 15 years but i think that in five years you'll get a very good uh, look at whether they're going to achieve it and and that's what those targets are about um i think the management thinks it'll be hard to be doing what they want to be doing without those numbers, I suppose, is, is how you yeah. look at it. What's the competitive response to their to their ambitions now, do you think? I mean, the, the, the competitors have seen their market share either be static or in the case of, I can't forget which company it is now, but actually fall. They're clearly taking market share off Ventor, I think. Yeah, what, yeah. What's in their response? Well, I think that um, you see a lot of these, a lot of the bigger competitors are actually focused on other areas. They're more interested in, um, you know, actually chip design and other other areas, um, you know, um, systems on chips and that sort of thing. Um, and so this is actually a relatively small part of the business. I mean, Mentor is owned by Siemens. Um, you know, Siemens has got an awful lot of other things going on. Yeah. Um, Autodesk, which tried to take them over, is a, is another perhaps example. Which um, they, you know, they they make design software in so many different areas. They're an absolute giant, uh, making CAD and other yeah design design software. And they wanted to plug this into their sort of overall offering, um, but really, I don't think they had. Well, I think probably they they 
I'm guessing here, but I, I think that they saw the cloud technology and they wanted to use that with all their other offerings and they wanted to take, take advantage of, of, you know, the lead that our team have, have got with that. Um, so so uh, look, the competitor response um, that doesn't, you know, I look at no doubt they're all working on, on this, but but as I say, Magazine believes the outing's three years ahead, um, yeah. and that's a long way. Yeah, and if you've got competitors who are also doing other stuff, that's a good thing for Altium, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and the you know the market share, as I say, the um, I think an article, I think it was the probably the interim result article in February this year, um, just had a graphic in it showing you know that that Altium's you know, it came from their presentation, so um, so it's in there. But showing that their um, market share is still growing while everyone else is, is kind of stagnating. I mean, remember also that this is an underlying, um, it's an underlying growth market. So the whole everyone's mm. growing revenues, yeah. um, but some faster than others. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is on the buy list right now. It's a buy um, below thirty dollars, I think. And yeah. Now it's twenty eight forty six. So it's nice to have such a good a good quality company with such good growth prospects, uh, global growth prospects at at, uh, at um, an attractive price right now. You you own this stock, don't you, James? Yes, I do. Yep. Yep. Very um, committed. And, yeah. Well. Um, yeah. I mean, plan to keep owning it for a while. Um, yeah. I think it's a good opportunity below thirty dollars. I mean, the thing to remember is that it's. Uh, still on a very high price earnings ratio. So um, for this year's earnings, it's around 50, 55 times earnings. Um, but those are very clean earnings. It, it um, expenses all its um, research and development through the P&L. Um, and it's growing very quickly. So, you know, I mean, the point is that I think it, it's, it's a great opportunity, but you know, when it, it, it's subject to the whims of, you know, the market in, in the short term as to how the market chooses to price that, you know, that growth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll take a, I'm happy to take a long-term view, but but I suppose it's a, you know, buy-in stages situation that yeah. cheaper it, it gets, the better the opportunity. It, it does seem the kind of company where if earnings did disappoint, then in this market they could get hit quite heavily. Probably yeah, absolutely, and they did during the during the pandemic. Yeah. They, um, yeah. you know, so that's they were down to twenty three dollars at one point. They were down to twenty five dollars only a couple of weeks ago. So, um, uh, yeah, right, okay, then. Well, let's let's now move on to another yeah. another software business. Not not quite the same. It's um, kind of the opposite of a platform business, really. But Technology One has a, a very unique kind of approach to particular market segments do you want to do you want to explain to us what technology one does yeah i wouldn't say it's that different i would say that it, it is in some respects a platform business um mm. but perhaps, perhaps we'll come back to that um once we've sort of talked about what it does so so it makes um enterprise software the the sort of core software that runs an institution you know the the back office software if you like um um, but the the key difference with it and the competitors is there are some giant competitors in the world making these this sort of thing Oracle SAP um, to start with. Um, but what Technology One d- does differently is that it makes the one product for absolute for all its clients. It makes the same product. You know, you you get this product, you you sign up, and you get the same uh, product as Joe down the road. Now, other people's products. Are slightly different for a different industry, or they demand some sort of customization, um, and so that means two things in terms of technology. One, it means first of all they have huge economies of scale because they're able to d- derive. I mean, despite being much smaller than some of its huge competitors, because it can focus all of its research and um, uh, development into uh, the one line of code as they say that's yeah. in the name technology one that's their one line of code yeah. they, they um, actually have this motto which is the i think it's a, the, the title of a bryce courtney book the power of one the power of one that's right and <laughs> and there, there really is a power in that and that i mean software in many respects is a scale business um you know and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more in, in due course with, with, with zero as well um mm. so so it has all that that um that those scale advantages from from the single line of code, um, but it, 
it, it it also means that it's only really suitable to certain markets. Yeah. Um, so markets where the customers don't really want to differentiate themselves according to the software they use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you, CBA is never going to use technology one because, you know, as no, far as it's concerned, it. yeah, their, their, their competitive advantage over NAB and ANZ is, is all down to their back office systems. I mean, they're, 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 that's, that's what they do. It's integral to them and they're big enough that really it makes sense for them to spend the money doing that. Um, so for smaller organizations that, that really um, differentiate themselves on other, uh, on other things, um, and the most, the most obvious uh, would be, so, so government, local, local authorities um, use Technology One um, and uh, uh, education, universities, and, and healthcare. So these are, you know, a hospital is very happy to use whatever, you know, it does not want to spend its life thinking about its back-end systems. <laughs> it wants to spend its life thinking about how to, you know, um, save people's lives. So it's happy to have something working in the background that just works, that it gets sent upgrades every six months, um, yeah. you know, and it, and they, they're ready to go the next day and everything looks seamless. And if it sees that it wants to use another package, you know, add another module to what it's paying for, it can do that, um, uh, you know, without having to go through some big integration. It can just sort of turn it on and it all looks the same. So this is a this is a really important point, I think, to understand about this business is that um, it's often seen as a weakness. You know, this, this is off-the-shelf software. So what they're really saying to their customers is, we're not going to give you any customization. You can come to us and ask for special things for you, but we're not going to do it. What, what, what we can do, because we don't do that, is give you something that we have a very high confidence that will work, that will meet your needs, and will not require much maintenance at all. You can just turn it on, get it going, and then you walk away and probably don't have to come back. There's a lot of advantages for businesses that are happy not to have customization as long as the basic functionality works. Um, is that is that the, where they set themselves apart from the the bigger software, the bigger sort of oracles of the world? Yeah, is absolutely. That, that advantage. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay, so they turn what looks like a negative into a positive. Like it's yeah, customized. but but it's not custom. Th- that, that's right, but it's only for certain areas of the market. And this, um, I suppose, was my concern a few years back when I looked at the stock. I've looked at it on occasionally over the years. And I've been concerned that it may be running out of market. You know, it may, you, once it's signed up so many, you know, um, universities and so many hospitals and, um, and so many local authorities, where does it go? And the, so it has to push into other markets um, and it has to push overseas. Um, but recently I'm becoming more comfortable with uh, well, I've changed. I've changed my view on that, really, because what is increasingly obvious to me, and also with other sort of software, other leading software companies, I suppose, like Zero, um, mm-hmm. is that they actually create their own demand. You know, so it's not they don't necessarily, even if they had just the same number of customers, um, even if they don't increase customer numbers, they can increase what they sell to those customers by improving the technology research and development. Um, and, you know, they're in an incredible, and this is where the platform part of it comes in. They're in an incredibly powerful position to solve problems for their customers. So if you're a university or a local authority, it's probably a better example, using technology one, mm-hmm. you know, you're paying them so much at the moment, but technology one can create new features, which yeah. you can either buy or not buy. Um, and if they add sufficient value, then you buy them. And so, you know, over time, um, they, they used uh, an example in their recent results, um, and I forget what it is, but 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 um, you know, of a, of a customer going on a journey from, you know, a few tens of thousands of of, uh, of revenue a year, um, you know, ten fifteen years ago, and and is now paying them three million or something. And um, yeah. and so the point is that that that, that create, they can create their own demand just by making the product better, and there are ways. So something that's been happening, particularly at the moment, is is their shift to the cloud. So everything's shifting onto the cloud, and what they find is that the average um, the average user 
um, uses five modules, but when it's on the cloud, they use uh, seven modules. Um, so, you know, immediately just because of the more efficient delivery and the, yeah. and the cloud product, you know, that's where, so they can have, I think the way, the way they, they run it is that they have everything running in the background. Um, so a user can actually just start using a piece of the, you know, one of the modules that mm-hmm. it's not paying for. They can actually start using it. Um, and the the salesman will will call them up in a few a few weeks after that and say we we noticed you've been using uh, this this module and uh, yeah. you know so how about how about you start paying for it yeah. um, so, and uh, yeah. you know that's incredibly powerful so people people you know and, and it, but it can only happen on the cloud so that hasn't been you know you, you, previously if you want a new module you you have to sort of send off for the CD. Mm. It, it's it's good to think about this, I think, in terms of uh, almost like a consumer product. So everybody accesses it through the cloud. Um, each year or every six months or 12 months, there's an six upgrade. Months, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's an upgrade to the software and everybody gets the same additional features and some are charged for and some aren't. Yeah. Uh, if you think about it in that kind of model as a, a consumer model delivered you know, over the internet, uh, it's a very simple thing to do and everybody gets all the additional functionality, you know, if they pay for some and, and not others, that's fine. Very different from what Workaday or SAP might do where you go to talk to a particular customer, they have a particular need, and then you write some code that, and that upgrade goes only to them. So it's a very yeah. different model. It's much more consumer-orientated in the way it's structured, but you can see the advantage of it. One of the things that does interest me, though, is that they've they focused on this government kind of market, institutional market, um, they opened their UK office in 2006, but they're, they're finally getting traction in that sector after being there for, you know, <laughs> decades. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's taken them it a while. It takes a yeah. while to get companies to build or get all institutions to not just get the confidence to swap, but to, to actually swap. <laughs> but that's a lot easier, isn't it, on the cloud, you know? So instead of having it to is. send off, you know, to, to get um, – uh, to get the CDs and to install them and to not be sure how it all works, you know, to to switch on uh, to something on the cloud and know you're going to get six monthly updates just like that is a it's a much much easier sell, um, and so they're beginning to get traction over there um, in the local authority um, market, um, and they've they recently made an acquisition and I cannot remember its name um, in in the education sector, um, so sort of student, what's that sorry? Sentia was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so, uh, so student management, um, Sentia, yeah, and um, uh, and that gives them a huge bunch of uh, of customers. Um, so they can go now to all those customers and say, uh, you know, we see that you're using this. How about how about I'm using the full the full package? Um, so I I think that and they've they they're doing what they do when they make an acquisition is they immediately release it. They all build it in uh, to the, the product um, and then the, the core product. And then they will spend the next two, three years, they take their time, they've got to get it right, um, to actually build it into that single line of code. So it'll become absorbed. That's what they, they've always done. So over time, uh, that'll that'll be sucked in. But in the short term, it provides them with a whole bunch of, of universities to, to go and sell to. Um, yeah. And the, the other part, I just want to go back to the, the this this increasing value point because there's something that they're very excited about at the moment. They keep mentioning which is called D, DXP. They call it um, digital user experience. Digital experience. I think that's the X. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sorry, user experience. Yeah, platform is the P. I think. But yeah. um, but the idea is that uh, that the enterprise software extends from being a back end product to being a front-end product essentially mm-hmm. so so that ratepayers in a local authority can access it so um you can you know uh at the moment when you you know a local authority might have a big manual um hundreds of yeah. pages thick where you know people people call up and the person sitting on the end of the phone you know when when do the bins go out and my you know <laughs> can i book a council pick up or whatever um, and all of that, there's someone sitting on there leafing through saying, oh, you, you, you're on Wednesdays or I'll book you in. So this is, you know, hugely um, inefficient process by which all this yeah. gets done. 
Um, and the idea is that they're going to extend the enterprise, you know, through a website, through mobile apps to the user. So you can have a, um, you know, you can have your local government app on your phone and go through there to book a particular cleanup or to pay your rates or to yeah. to do, I mean, all the different interactions you might do with your council or which a student might do with its university. Um, I would say that that's, um, hmm. that, that seems like quite a good area because governments and educational institutions are just usually terrible at delivering decent user experience to their, their end user customers. Uh, all of their systems are built with this internal perspective, which tends to be bureaucratic and awkward. And we all know that from using government websites. So the expectations when you go on to uh, you know, a public sector we- website are very, very low. If they can even get that half right, I think that that would be a, yeah. a massive improvement in user experience. You don't need to be an Apple or a Google to do this well. You just need to be a lot better than what's currently there. And what's currently there is terrible. But that's so, that's yeah. great for the ratepayers and the good. students. But that's sorry, right. that's great. But, yeah, but yeah, also, great. also, it's a huge money saver um, for the for the local councils and yeah, for the universities right. because they don't have to have someone sitting there with a huge manual, which they have to keep updating and printing off. And you know, you you, you first of all have a digital manual and you have it all automated, so people can mm. go in there and sort sort themselves out. That's right. Um, so so this is the, how they've got that platform, which they can continue to. You know, by by which they can add more and more value, and by which more people can, um, uh, by which people you know will will provide them with revenue growth, even mm. even in the absence of of new customers. And then you add new customers onto that, and the whole thing, uh, you know, grows that much quicker. The other aspect to this, I suppose, is that, and I don't know whether this is correct. I'm just guessing, but from what I know, I've got a friend who who works in local government and. Uh, he heads the RT department at a local council and he gives me the impression that the, the market in software to manage like a, a local council is quite a complicated and congested sort of bureaucracy and the software that they use to run that congested bureaucracy often comes from lots of small individual suppliers and his job is largely knitting these things together. So it makes, makes me think that the, there are companies who, who who solve particular problems within these institutions, but what Technology One does is provide a holistic approach and a, a rounded approach. But does that mean there are acquisition opportunities within this sector that Technology One might undertake to, to build out their the scope of their modules? Yeah, absolutely. I think that they make piecemeal acquisitions, and Cientia would be would be an example of that. Um, but uh, you know, it's a question for them whether they whether they you know want to develop it themselves or whether it'd be quicker to to buy something to to integrate. Mm-hmm. But okay. I mean, the whole I mean, that's a great example uh, what you just gave there of, of what they're trying to do. So um, you know, they really would like to put your made out of work. I mean, that's the <laughs> that's yeah. the essence of it. I mean, they you know, I think what you'd be quite they, grateful of that too. <laughs> they, they freely admit that they're not the best in class of every single. Um, area that they that their software covers, um, but what they say is that the real trick here is to bring it all together into one product and to make mm. it user friendly in terms of that. So when you go from one product to the next um, or one module to the next, it works in the same. You get the same user user experience, and so you know how to use it instinctively rather than going from one product to someone else's product. Um, you know, and everything looks different and the functionality is different and, uh, yeah. you know, and they don't connect particularly well. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about valuation then, James, because I don't think this company has ever been on the buy list, is it? No, it hasn't. It keeps being too expensive. Um, we are getting closer. We were getting closer. It dipped below. So I wrote it up last month and I sort of suggested about $9.00. Um, for the buy price, um, and uh, we're still sort of waiting for that. Although it's now bounced, got below ten. Um, I should disclose I actually bought some for myself, just a small starting position because I couldn't help myself. But uh, the the you know the way we work things is that we want a consensus 
uh, amongst the team um, before upgrading. And the, the the general view is we'd rather nine dollars, and I think that's 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 fair for for a full on you know buy recommendation. I'd want to see nine dollars too, but you know we're getting the, the message is that we're sort of getting close to that. Um, and or we were below ten dollars um, at eleven dollars, not so much. But look, nine, ten, eleven dollars. If you believe the story, um, you know it's an attractive company. Um, so that's that's the view I sort of took. I was prepared to buy a small sort of starter position. Um, I mean, it, it is expensive though. You know, it's yeah. it's a similar sort of price to Altium. Um, it's a, a current year PER of forty two. Um, so a bit, a little bit cheaper, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't expense. Well, it, it, it capitalizes around half its, um, R and D. Um, mm-hmm. but so, so the historical growth has been about 15% a year and they, they pretty much manage the business to, to achieve that. They, I mean, I mean, that sounds, I don't like companies that manage themselves to achieve certain rates, but they're, but that's what they, you know, they, they, they're trying to work, you know, they, they have a sort of methodical approach to, uh, to approaching customers and, you know, it takes time. And, um, and so they're and a good looking on the revenue stream as well with the customers they've yeah, already got, right. then they're not yeah. going to change in and out quickly. No, their churn is microscopic. I mean, yeah. 1% or something yeah. tiny. Um, and they, yeah, so they've been growing 15% a year historically, which is doubling every five years. So that P of uh, 42 would come down to 21 over five years. And if you think it's going to be on a P of 42 in five years, then you might think that you get a 15% share price return over that period. Right. But, but you know, that's that's a big ask, you know. The, 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 and, and I suppose the point is, I mean, I, I'm more comfortable now with that continued growth. I, I, it's not so much that a um, so a few years ago, I was happy to imagine it was going to grow at 15% a year for a few years. Now, I suppose the difference is that I, I see it, that, that 15% a year carrying on for more than a few years, more, more like 10, 15, 20 years. And that well, makes a big difference to the valuation. So, so they've expanded into the UK. That seems to be getting some traction now after many years of working away at it. It shows that you need to be in a market, I think, for a long time before you start to get any traction. Are they are they moving offshore anywhere else? Not not really, no. Um, but the uh, I mean, Australia is ANZ, um, mm. I should say. So they've got a bit in New Zealand. But um, the the I think yeah. Every now and again, you hear a, a, a mention of of the US, and I think they will mm. go there eventually. Um, but they're not there yet. I guess they want to to have that, um, you know, a, a certain amount of scale before they get into there. Um, maybe, maybe yeah. it wakes up the dragons as well. Maybe, you know, at the well, moment they're sort of building their businesses quite nicely and slowly. But um, you know, you get into America and then the oracles and the SAPs start to pay a bit more attention. Well, that that's um that's a nice segue into our third business, which we actually discussed in detail in uh, stock take podcast a couple of weeks ago and that 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 company's called zero which everybody knows uh, you've had a good look at this over a, uh, a number of years james it it went into the u.s yeah, uh, definitely and, the dragon and <laughs> and it did wake the dragon and the company seems to have done pretty well in the uk zero's done very well in australia and new zealand if you were technology one, you'd probably be taking a good look at the zero experience, I think. I know it's a very different market. It's a more consumer-orientated market. But the U.S. seems to be a different kind of place, and it's harder to expand into the U.S. because it just seems to be either have more entrenched, more powerful competition or more diverse competition or maybe a combination of both, whereas somewhere like the U.K., South Africa, which Zero has also done quite well in, uh, doesn't seem to have the same kind of. Uh, there, there are more competitive openings there, I think, than in in the in the US. So let's just talk about Zero in that sense. It's a very expensive business. Um, it's growing quite rapidly. How, how do you see where it's situated now? Oh well, that's a, that's a, there's a lot in that. But I, I think just to I think the thing with the US 
um, mm. is that it's um, it's it, it's a bit skeptical, a bit more skeptical. We're, in America and in the UK, people are very used to using overseas sort of products. Very used to using American companies, for example, particularly to use, for, for for various things, particularly technology. Are you Whereas accusing the in, US of being parochial, James? Yeah, well, I am. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm <laughs> accusing them of. But that, but but with good reason, because a lot of the big tech stocks um, are US companies, and so I think people are used to using homegrown uh, solutions. And so when you know some ringing comes from Australia, uh, or indeed the UK or Europe or whatever, they're, they're a little bit more skeptical of it. Um, and so Zero has been finding the going a bit tough there. Um, but most of all, it's that dragon which has been woken up into it. So um, uh, with its QuickBooks product, and they, to be fair to them, have done a, a great job of um, of producing their own cloud uh, accounting uh, product. Um, and it, you know, that was really Zero's big competitive advantage. Um, and in in Australia, and New Zealand, they they got enough market share before the competition sort of woke up and had its own uh, equivalent. Um, uh, but in the U.S., they never quite got there. They entered the U.S. before they – well, I swear you can't have that market share, but before they had that sort of those – that strong, powerful economies of scale, they, they were still not making money. Um, and so there's limits to how much they can spend um, into it. have certainly outspent them the last few years. Um, in terms of marketing and in terms of R and D, so so you've got this situation now where they're finding customer acquisition. Uh, they're still growing in, in Australia and New Zealand, but that's likely to slow. They're, they're um, well over fifty percent market share now, um, and cloud penetration um, in Australia and New Zealand is much higher than it is in the US. So so that. Um, you know, there, there are beginning to be limits to what they can do here. Um, in the UK, they've got competition from Sage, um, and they're going pretty well, but it's kind of an even fight with Sage over there. Um, and so so customer acquisition getting harder. And in the US, um, it's not so much getting harder, but getting more expensive. There's still an awful lot of customers over there, but they're having to, to spend more to, to, to get them. Um, so it's it's getting to be, and I think it's increasingly going to be the next five or ten years, a harder slog to grow their subscriber numbers. Um, now, against that, you have this situation whereby, uh, and we talked a moment ago with Tech One, um, you know, they have this platform, um, and to some extent, they're their own, they're masters of their own destiny because they can increase the revenue they get from their existing customers by just improving um, their own core product and charging more for it. Um, there's a lot of pricing power. I mean, they charge, what, $30, $30 a month is the um, ARPU for this thing. Um, and, you know, you can you can certainly charge, you know, the actual value it delivers is, is way in excess of that. Um, but they've also got um, – so they operate as a platform for all kinds of other little um, accounting add-ons for different industries and for different tax situations and all, all kinds of things. I couldn't even name them all. Um, I mean, they, I think they've got a, a thousand, uh, more than a thousand apps, I think, in, in what they've now created is the Zero App Store. Um, and they'll be taking, uh, I think it's 15%, uh, essentially, commission on on apps that they sell through the Zero App Store, made yeah. by others, um, in all which work with the Zero platform. So, so a little bit like Technology One, they have that opportunity to to keep adding value to their existing customers and keep growing revenue. So, the last five ten years have all been about subscriber growth, and I think mm -hmm. probably to answer your question, <laughs> finally, um, about where they're at. The next five, 10 years, subscriber growth will, will be ticking along, but the, the greater interest now is to see um, what they can do to grow revenue per user and, and how much value they can extract from the subscribers, the subscribers they've got. Plus, of course, then you've got um, 
you know, the, the possibility of, of uh, an improved performance in the US, although that, that, yeah, there's no particular sign of that at the moment. They're just sort of plugging, plugging away over there, really. Well, they've just changed how they sell over there by the looks of it. Yeah, they're, they're shifting. Well, they're, I think that, um, I'm not quite sure. I mean, they're gra- gradually shifting, I think, more towards the partner model that they've used successfully over here. Um, but but everyone's doing that now in some way or other, you know, offering incentives to accountants to get all their clients on the platform. Um, yeah. And you see, that's a much easier sell when you're, you know, in Australia, if an accountant says, look, I want you to go on zero because it's going to be much better for both of us, you're going to say, well, fine, yeah, you know, there's no, no problem with that. We, we know what zero is and every, all my friends tell me it's the best. Um, but in in the US, if if uh, if your accountant comes to you and says, "I want you to go get on this um, Aussie little Aussie company called Zero, which you've never heard of," you're going to say, "Well, look, I was very happy with QuickBooks, thanks." So I think um, it's it, it's a that partner led model works better where you have the dominant cloud product. Yeah. Um, and where you where you don't, I'm not sure it's quite so. Uh, easy. Yeah, so we, I think in your last review, James, you, you sort of outlined three different scenarios for zero. Uh, there was a bullish and a or middle case and a, a bearish. And the bearish view had 15% revenue growth. And at that rate, uh, then your return over, well, you can see the scenarios in the last the last review i think that's the best way of explaining it but yeah. it does seem as though this business is um it's it's at, at a would you call it an inflection point it does seem to be at a point where they've had that that move to the cloud they were the first mover there they grew astronomically quickly now the competition has has moved to the cloud they've taken away that that reason for people signing up for zero so they're now building out this platform with loads of plugins to try and expand the the quality of the user experience, which makes a lot of sense. But it does seem as though the growth is kind of cooled and um, it's it's harder to get. They're spending more to acquire customers. Under under those kind of scenarios, how, how do you feel the company will fare over the next few years? Well, that's, yeah, I think that's exactly right. They So they, they've been growing subscribers very quickly and, um, and, you know, in some respects, how quickly you grow subscribers depends on, on how quickly you grow your revenue per user. So if you put your prices up, you're going to grow your customers less quickly. So those two factors both go into the revenue growth. Um, and I think what, what we've seen in the past is that it's mostly been, the revenue growth mostly been driven by subscriber growth. I think the next 10 years, it's going to be increasingly driven by um, the revenue per user growth. Um, so I think subscriber growth is going to cool in in Australia and New Zealand because they're reaching, um, you know, uh, saturation points. Um, and in the US, while the problem they got in the US is if they put prices up, then then it's going to slow the growth. And so yeah. so they're a bit caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, but I suppose, you know, at a price of around $80, what I reckoned was, and look, this valuation is hugely difficult because it's so uncertain how things are going to pan out. Um, the reason it's I put almost that, as if you're talking about two different kinds of businesses. What, in the US and in Australia and New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're very different stages of, of um, you've got one market leader and one barely even up-and-comer, you know. I mean, it's... Yeah. it's um, tiny in comparison to Intuit. So um, very different businesses, but they're being run, um, you know, together, obviously. And, I mean, I think it does make sense for them to be in the U.S. because they're spending all this money already on the core product. You know, it comes back to this economies of scale thing. You know, it is a scale business. So if they're they're having to spend all that money to develop um, the product, they may as well be selling it in America. But I think our, our that, you know hopes for what might be achieved over there have to be reined in a little bit. Um, but but you know it all creates huge uncertainty over the valuation. In addition to that, you've got the point that um, they expense all their sales and marketing 
Um, so so they, they spend a lot on sales and marketing. They have done over the, in the past because they're, they're, they're trying to build their market share. Um, and they also um, capitalize about half their um, – Actually, it's not all that. They, they um, expense 90, 95% of their sales a month. Um, and they uh, probably expense about half their research and development and capitalize the other half. Mm-hmm. So, and these are all timing differences. You know, that expenditure, um, I mean, the idea of accounting is that you try to match your expenditure to the profits, to the revenue that that expenditure was designed to, to achieve. So... Um, that's why people capitalize things because they expect to get um, revenue from them uh, years into the future. And part of the sales and marketing that, that Zero does is is to replace lost uh, subscribers each year. Part of it is to grow the business specifically that year with direct sales and marketing. Part of it is to build the brand so that it can sell more in five years' time. So, And that latter bit would be appropriate to to capitalize but you know if you want to get a true picture of the profits so how you unpick all of that is is um you know adds another level of uncertainty to to the valuation it does seem as though if you're looking at if you're looking at zero and, and then comparing it with technology one and altium that the path forward for zero has more uncertainty than it does with with the other two yeah, I'd say much more. I'd say zero, much more uncertainty. Altium sort of in the middle because it's mm. got this huge opportunity which it may or may not achieve, um, but it's really the only one playing for it at the moment, um, yeah. and it, or at least it's a long way ahead of the others. Um, and then you've got Tech One, which which just has a, a roadmap in front of it and it's just plodding along just same as it always has. And really that mm. consistency and 15% growth um, is, is really quite remarkable. Um, yep. You know, it's been doing it for twenty years, and and no reason it shouldn't keep going with it. So, so the yeah, so I, the reason I put the valuation in the zero article last month is is really so I, I, I barely even call it a valuation because because really it's just it helps to put some numbers around it, it things so you get an idea about what the future might look like for this company yeah, that's, that's, that's how right. I, that's exactly I used right. it and yeah. that's what made me think that well if i was looking at these three together there, there does seem to be more uncertainty attached to zero's future and how it might play out than the other two offsetting that is the fact that not the fact but the possibility that it might well conquer the uk uh it might do okay in the us and if those two things happen then you could see pretty good revenue growth over the next four or five years that would take you to a, a decent kind of return from this business but that that it's a question mark over it whether it can do that especially in the u.s that, that causes all of these fluctuations yeah there's there's that's right in the three scenarios i set out and i forget what the the um revenue growth I had in the bear scenario, it might have been fifteen percent. Fifteen percent, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and then twenty, and then twenty-five. It might have been. Um, and so, look, there are plenty of people that say that that fifteen um, percent was quite optimistic for the next ten years. Um, but look, it's been growing way faster than that in the past. So, but look, in that scenario, I think you probably break even over ten years or get a zero percent return. So, so it's a lost opportunity. You know, zero percent over ten years is a pretty bad result. Um, I reckon in the middling sort of scenario, if 20% revenue growth, you'd probably be looking at more like 10% a year. And then you'd be up in the high teens if you got the 25% a year. But I think that's quite unlikely. I think that the, you know, I think you're more likely between the, the, the bearish and the neutral scenario, somewhere around there. Um, so, so which, which, that's at at around, um, uh, well, actually, that was at $100. So things look a bit better at $85. Um, but, uh, you know, we need something, I think, um, below $80. And then I've got to convince everyone else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think, I think come, struggle. <laughs> well, no, it's not that. I mean, look, quite reasonably, I mean, we're value investors, right? So um, we, we need to see a margin of safety. We need to, and, and it's very hard. Look, in, in tech one, I can see a margin of safety. The valuations, it's fairly clean sort of thing. You know, it just depends. Mm-hmm. 
I suppose with tech one, it depends how long you want to extrapolate that that fifteen percent a year growth. Um, uh, with Altium, you know, um, again, but you know, there's that. There's that. You can see the growth. You can see the valuation. But with zero, very hard to see a margin of safety. Um, and so we do need a pretty pretty cheap price to to get us over the line. And you know, if we never get over the line and it conquers America and it does brilliantly well, then you know, hats off to it. And, and we, you, you don't have to be in every stock that goes up to do well. You know, you just have to be, you know, pick a few where you Richard. think you've got a good margin of safety and uh, you know, an attractive returns. All right, so that covers our technology businesses in the the list of the top ten. Well, we've got Ordinate. Uh, we still have Ordinate, yeah. which we're going to talk yeah. about next week. Uh, but that's kind of different because it is a, a manufacturing business as well, in yeah. a sense. But, yeah, it's software-based. Well, it's software. So, but, yeah, it is software, yeah, but it's a different it's kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they're the three that we've covered off. Thanks a lot for your time, James. I hope that gives members a good insight into these businesses. With Zero, especially, we recommend you go back and listen to our conversation about the company in more detail from the last, soft, uh, the last stock take podcast but um for now thanks very much james for going over those things those businesses and uh we'll speak again when we cover three more of your stocks on the top 10 list of growth businesses can't wait thanks james 